You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 36. Hey, Google wants to be a company where they take risks on products. Some of them are not going to work out. So is that what's going on here? Or is that is there some kind of deeper pattern or problem that they keep getting into? Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. All right, welcome. Welcome to another episode of The Local Maximum. Uh, Today we have, well, I just came off two interviews. Um, You should check them out, last two episodes. One was with uh, Joe Kroback on data engineering and another one with Camille Fournier on engineering management. So we're kind of making the rounds to, you know, every aspect of a modern software company. Um, But Now we're going to go back to a co-host discussion with Aaron, and it's going to be a more product-focused episode. We're going to talk about the recent news of Google+, and how that is kind of winding down, and we're going to look at some other Google products, and then, of course, in relation to Facebook and and Amazon, we're going to try to analyze uh, what's going on. So I think this is a very useful episode for those of you who want to analyze product building and those of you who want to analyze Uh, company value when it comes to consumer software. All right. Enjoy. Let's bring Aaron up. All right, Aaron. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Did you get the email that I sent out to my mailing list? It was my first email using MailChimp. I did. Um, Yes. So a few things went right with that and a few things went wrong. It was, uh, (laughs) but it was, it did get some people interested in the website. The website's going well, localmaxradio.com. A lot of our content is there. I've been getting a few emails from people who listen to the show and I've been enjoying their emails. Some of them are short. I can get to you fast. Some people tend to write quite a few paragraphs uh, to me, which I read as well and I eventually get back to. So it's a lot of fun. I haven't haven't been getting a lot of hate mail. I actually have not gotten any hate mail at all. So either you've just jinxed it, or or we are very lucky. Yeah, well, it's only a matter of time. Uh, so, all right, we have some interesting topics today. Uh, I think I'm going to call this uh, episode "Google the Google Graveyard," and uh, it's about the fact that Google Plus was discontinued recently. It, it, ha- it hasn't been fully killed off, but but they've announced its they, they announced, impending yeah, demise. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, but before I get to that, I want to talk about some Amazon news. This is an interesting article from Reuters that I found. It's titled, Amazon Scraps, Their Secret AI Recruiting Tool That Shows Bias Against Women. And this is always an interesting topic in machine learning and AI and whether... Um, whether these algorithms have bias of any kind and what to do about it. I mean, they always have bias, but how do you detect the bias and what to do about it? The quote is, uh, someone said, uh, when they asked someone about it, they literally wanted it to be an engine where I'm going to give you 100 resumes and it'll spit out the top five and we'll hire those. But by 2015, the company realized that its new system was not rating candidates for software developer jobs and other technical posts in a gender neutral way. And in effect, Amazon's system taught itself that male ca- candidates were preferable. It penalized resumes that included the word women's, and as in women's chess club uh, captain, and it downgraded graduates of two all-women's colleges, according to people familiar with the matter. They did not specify the names of the schools. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is that it said they realized that the new system was doing this in 2015. So why are they just shutting it down now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's entirely possible they realized that there were problems with it. And they thought, well, we're not going to kill this program completely. We can fix Let's it. Try and to fix it, it took two years or three years for them to come to the realization, no, it's, it's not even worth putting any more time, effort, and money into this. We need to dump it and either start from scratch or just not go down this path. So that's, yeah, and that's a fascinating data point that not only did they recognize the bias, but they spent three years trying to fix it and couldn't fix it. And so here's some open questions. I mean, obviously... Well, first, let's suggest I have seen, you know, some comments online to the effect of like, you know, I bet the AI algorithm was right because women can't do math or something like that. Um, And it's the problem is AI is not that good. So that can't even be taken, taken a little seriously at this point. I I would like to to 
operate on the assumption, given given that this is being done by presumably data scientists, that that they applied you know proper st- statistical methods and they were you know normalizing for the gender breakdown of their sample size and 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 things along those effects. So it wasn't just that. Uh, some news reporter got a hold of some results and said, oh, they hired 70% men and 30% women. Their algorithm is biased. I, I, I'm going to go on the assumption that they actually did the, you know, the proper proper groundwork in determining, I, yes, there are I hope so. Here. I mean, you know, yeah. journalists don't always, but you know, we'll see. Um, so I guess one of the first questions I have is, uh, you know, how are they training this? Um, and what it appeared from the article is that they're they're taking the resumes and they're matching it up based on people who got the job in the past. So they're simply searching for people who are similar to the people that they hired in the past. And if that's the case, that's your first problem right there. Um, as you know, a bunch of people have pointed out to me, a lot of these efforts to automate hiring, basically all you're doing is freezing into place whatever issues, whatever biases your current hiring process has. Hiring is so bad. Like it's not an efficient market type thing. People don't know who to hire in tech. It's a it's a problem. Yeah. If 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 their objective was to build a fair and efficient and and optimal uh, hiring process, then then yes, they've failed. If their objective was, you know, we have a, an HR department that makes up ten percent of of our uh, of our staff, uh, and we need to reduce that so that it's one percent, and we can do that by automating. You know, ninety percent of of the tasks they do, then then slam dunk, they've succeeded. They've they've taken what was previously being done by humans and codified it to be done by this algorithm. That's a good point uh, because that's something that so machine so, learning so yeah. Their goal well. is to reduce staff and save money and time. They did it, but yeah. but they they clearly uh, had some additional objectives in the process that were not perhaps not even captured in their approach and they didn't realize that until after the fact or, or they, they just failed in their attempt to to handle that. Yes. And the third point I want to make, is this the third point? I haven't been counting points, but <laughs> I usually think the last point I want to make is that, um, you know, they haven't measured causality. That This is, I think, a, a big causality problem. What causes someone to be uh, hired as an engineer and not me- merely correlates as to whether you get hired or not? Um, and so if, I mean, it's totally possible, I would totally believe that, you know, if you look at all the women's resumes and the men's resumes, maybe on average, the, the, the male resume will have more years of experience. Maybe years of experience is, is a more causal variable. I'm not saying it is, but it, it would be like more reasonable to me. Um, and so it, it, they're only looking for uh, patterns of correlation. And as we've all learned recently, it's possible, but it's very difficult to predict causality uh, with, you know, an infinite or, you know, very large number of variables in, in a machine learning algorithm like this. Not, not to dig any further deep, deeper into this, but uh, you, you, you mentioned before that, that the hiring process is, is not an efficient market. Uh, and and I, I think I threw out the the term that perhaps they were trying to optimize their hiring efforts uh, by making very small changes, very small deviations from what they were already doing, or or simply uh, yeah. like you said, freezing in time the process they already had. Uh, dare I say they managed to get themselves stuck in a local maximum? Yes, yes, um, that's quite possible. I mean, optimal in terms of I don't know, maybe they're investing the right amount in it, but you could always gather more information on candidates. And I think that we just don't know how to hire and how to like figure out whether someone fits into a team. It's, it's actually a very difficult thing to do. Okay. That's it for the Amazon story. Let's move on to Tim Berners-Lee, Tim Berners-Lee's new worldwide. Okay. His name is Tim Berners-Lee, but it's really difficult to do a possessive because it's like Tim Berners-Lee's new World Wide Web. But anyway, okay, so Tim Berners-Lee, he is the inventor of the World Wide Web. A lot of people don't realize that the World Wide Web and the internet are two different things. Uh, The internet predates the World Wide Web by, I think, a couple decades um, or more. It's like late 60s, early 70s. Um, And the World Wide Web is kind of the systems of, of websites and hyperlinks that we see today that was invented Uh, circa 1990. 
Um, I was going to say, when, when we were first getting exposed to computers, the World Wide Web was still fairly new, but the internet had been around for a while. Correct, correct. If you look at the old Ghostbusters um, movie <laughs> from 1984, they check the network, which I think is actually like the internet because it connected all the universities. Oh, gosh. This, so this is a complete tangent reaching back into the past. But I, Go for it. I remember in middle school, um, yeah. there, there was a point where uh, they brought in, it was like an after, you know, an evening event. So you, you, you could go to the school with your parents and they had this big tech demo thing where they brought in experts from, from, I don't know where. And one of the, they, they were showing How off. Come? Was I there? I would, yeah. This may have been, may have been before you, you, you moved to town. Okay. Uh, they, they had a VR headset, which, which yeah. imagine an Oculus Rift, but it's a full helmet. And, and instead of just the goggles in front, it was like two or three feet worth of stuff coming off your face forward. Uh, and, and there was, there was stuff about the World Wide web, but the World Wide web wasn't at that point, like the clear leader of this is how you will access information online in the future. Uh, Cause there yeah. was all, there were also people coming and demoing it's something called that, right? yeah. It'll never last. Yeah, <laughs> well, they, they were they were demoing something called GopherNet, which I, yeah. I guess it was developed by uh, a Midwestern university whose mascot is the gopher. Um, maybe okay. one of our listeners know who that is. Um, but but it was much in the same way that that like ARPANET and the internet uh, were were networks between universities. It was a a way of of connecting between different university pages and sites. But it was it was completely distinct from the World Wide Web. Right. So this would have been the era, if it was before I moved to town, this would have been the era like in the mid-90s yeah. before even fast dial-up. Like it would have been slow dial-up. I, I think it was before I got we, we got our first home computer. And I want to say, for some reason, it sticks in my mind that that was 94. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So anyway. Tim Berners-Lee, obviously, <laughs> if this were someone else, if this were some random person saying like, I want to invent a new web, then I I'd be like... Okay, like, you know, there's a lot of marketing new startups that are just vaporware, which is, you know, and that's also the premise of, like you said, Silicon Valley's H- HBO building a new internet, but uh, which is like joking, but not always, not quite a joke. <laughs> um, so, but if it's Tim Berners Lee, then, then you should pay attention. He wants decentralization. That's very good. Um, and, um, but, I, I couldn't like read into the article and get to see what the meat of it really was. So his new startup is called Inrupt. It's built off of a decentralized web platform that he developed at MIT. Uh, I know he wants to compete with Google, Facebook, and Amazon. So it's not too heavy on the details, but here was one interesting part that I found. Uh, it reads, Berners, Lee is currently working on a way to create a decentralized version of Alexa, Amazon's increasingly ubiquitous digital assistant. He calls it Charlie. Oh, no, my Alexa's going off. Okay. He calls it Charlie, unlike with that robot over there. On Charlie, people would own all their data. That means they could trust Charlie with, for example, health records, children's school events, or financial records. That's the kind of machine Tim Berners-Lee hoped will spring over all over solid to flip power dynamics from the web of the web from corporation to individuals. Now, this is a very hard problem, and this has been the dream of people for a very long time, that you have your servers at home, you have your data at home, or at least you own the data, right? And it's not, it sounds great, but it's not as easy as it sounds. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of hurdles to overcome. I mean, first of all, the, um, the big players that do have all our data, Google, Facebook, um, and then of course we do that too at Foursquare to your extent, we use the data to, improve the product. So if you don't have that data to improve the product, how can you actually, um, how can you compete? And I think part of the answer is to do also some decentralized computation, like every everyone's node sort of helps in the recommendation engine and only knows a small piece of it and doesn't really know, somehow has everyone's data anonymized. Very, very difficult to set that up. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was the main point that I want to make and also have holding all of your, your records. Um, it's also a difficult situation because, uh, you know, yes, all of these big companies get breached, but do you trust yourself? 
Like, do you trust the average person with their data? Right. I, to- I don't have a multi-million dollar uh, IT security, uh, you know, team working on my infrastructure. Right. So if you own uh, the but, data, but Facebook and Google and and Amazon do. They have people whose whose job is being paid very well to prevent those kinds of intrusions, and and they fail, but they stop a lot of things that, uh, you know, me with my you know, my antivirus subscription and and maybe a consumer grade firewall are not going to be able to stop. Yeah, or just someone tricking you into, like, people could just uh, trick someone into giving them their private keys, and then that's it, right? I mean, there's a lot that could yeah. happen. Um, well, and and I think realistically, uh, from an infrastructure point of view, even even if you own your own data in in uh, what is it this the these solid pods is that what they're referring I, to? I don't know how this works. Just just by using the word solid pods, you clearly know more about this than I do. I I, I think that where that that data is going to be hosted somewhere in the cloud by some third party. Maybe it's fully encrypted, so you know mm. if, if it's in the Google Cloud, Google can't actually read it, but. I don't think you can realistically expect every consumer to set up their own server that they'll then be able to access from all of their devices, uh, wherever they are, to make use of this. And and if if you can't do that, if this is only useful in your home, then that's going to make it uh, a much harder sell to people who become accustomed to, you know, uh, the Google Assistant or Alexa or Siri being in their pocket everywhere they want. And when they log into a machine and put in their credentials wherever it is, it can pull up all of that background information on them and and basically bring their, you know, their their familiar interface with them wherever they go. Right, right. So again, I'm not like I'm not skeptical. I I believe from what it sounds like, it sounds like a worthwhile project. But like everything we just mentioned are very difficult um, hurdles that you have to get past. And um, I hope that uh, there are some people smart enough to, to figure it out. Yeah. And l- like you said, if, if this was just Joe Schmo off the street, we, we would have good reason to dismiss it out of hand. Uh, but yeah. Tim Berners-Lee is, is on a short list of people who I would automatically say, well, either he knows a way to solve this or he knows the right people to get in the room. So he's, he's worth listening to and paying attention to that. May, right. Maybe it's not a slam dunk, but, but I would, I would at least give him some of my attention to, to see where this goes. Yeah. Okay. Now, finally on to the Google news. Uh, the news of the day is that Google plus it's been announced that Google is closing its troubled Google plus social network following the discovery of a software glitch this past spring that may have exposed user information of up to 500,000 customers between 2015 and 2018, the company said Monday. So see, even Google with their security team gets screwed up. And this comes off of the heels of Facebook having a similar thing happen to them. The quote, so on Facebook from a Reuters article, I've got a quote here, cyber attackers stole 29 million Facebook accounts using an automated program that moved from one friend to the next. Facebook announced on Friday, as the social media company said its largest ever data theft hit fewer than 50 million profiles it initially reported. Uh, the attackers took profile details such as birth dates, employers, education history, religious preference, type of device used, page follows, and recent searches and location check-ins from 14 million. And from 15 million, it took name and contact details. Actually, Facebook contacted me and said that uh, I was one of those people where they got my name and contact uh-huh. details. Uh, in addition, the attackers could see the posts and list of friends and groups of about 400,000 users. So. It's interesting to me that a similar thing happened to Facebook and Google at the same time. And when it happened to Google, it's actually causing and Google Plus, which is essentially Google's Facebook clone. Well, right? you, you say and, same time, but they, yes. they hit the media at the same time, but the, yes. the Google well, incident point, happened three years ago. Right. Similar, similar time. Or, it or at least between twenty fifteen and twenty eighteen. So the exposure started in twenty fifteen. What yeah. whether when and if it was exploited is, is unclear, but that's mostly because I haven't read too deeply on it. Um, yeah, well, one, one on the, interesting – yeah, sorry, go I ahead. I was just going to say on the, on the Facebook side, uh, this raises an interesting question for me because I, I think I've mentioned several times before that I'm no longer on Facebook. Uh, but I've said that. But when, when I left, I, I think I, you know, I deactivated my account. I don't think I requested that Facebook purge all of my data from their, from their servers. So even right. though I haven't used – uh, Facebook in in nearly three years. Uh, it's possible that that I could still be uh, 
susceptible to these data breaches. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's, uh, that's something to keep in mind, you know, beyond the context of Facebook, that it's not just what you're using now. It's what data have you ever left out there in the past uh, that, that could be used against you in some way. Right. So some a few interesting points. First, they waited to announce this breach because they were worried about the regulatory response. So that's kind of interesting that some of the global regulations surrounding uh, data security actually slows these companies down from telling the people about it that they're at risk. So yeah, that's, it's very much a double-edged issue. sword because on the on the yeah. one hand, well, if if there weren't these regulations that they were worried about, they they would have told us earlier. But on the other hand, if there weren't these requirements to report, they might never have told us. Yeah, and so let's go go forward now to actually the the product discussion because I think this is really interesting. So they haven't had too many users and now keeping Google Plus around, I guess after this data breach it just looks more like a liability than anything else. I mean, it, there's a tendency to kind of keep things going for old time's sake like I do with Sticky Map even though it was such a pain in the neck to upgrade it from Google Maps version 2 to Google Maps version 3, but I did it for old time's sake, but uh this is a business and they're like, Google Plus is a huge liability and no one really uses it. So I don't know what it is. By the way, every time I go to plus.google.com and look at my account, I'm like, oh, there's some good content on here. I don't know why I don't go here more often. And then I don't go there more often. So there's something, there's a difference between Google and Facebook where Facebook has the, um, how should I put it? They have the addictiveness down. Facebook was built to be addictive. That's like in episode 12 when we talked about virtual friends and virtual enemies. Facebook is a sneaky one. Yeah, well, I, I think this comes back to a failure from from over a decade ago at, that, that they don't really have... Well, has it been that long? It feels like a long time. From, from the early days of of Google Plus that they were never able to recover for. Yeah, 20, 2012. I, yeah, okay. So, so it hasn't been quite that long. But uh, yeah, I, I think they... They kind of fell on their face a little bit out of the gate, and and were never able to catch up to the point where they could be a true, you know, competitor in the same same space as as Facebook on the on that front. Uh, but I will take issue with the well, nobody used it, and and well, like you said, there's there's a lot of content on there, and while I was not, I I was using it in a very limited fashion, but on the occasion that I would open it up, much like you, I would see, oh, there's a lot of content here, and I would see people uh, who uh, I, I think part of the problem was. I did not have a, a friend circle that actively used it, but I saw people there who somehow I'd gotten involved in their circles and there was constant interaction going on, lots and lots of posting, lots of, you know, kind of back and forth. Uh, and it was simply a matter of, of the fact that, that the people I would have those types of interactions with were not there. And so I was not participating in that, but, but there were groups that, that very much were active on there. Um, obviously nowhere yeah. near the volumes that we're, we're talking about in terms of, of number of users as Facebook, but I think there were users of Google plus who used it as, as much on a, you know, you know, daily visits or, you know, clicks per day or, or whatever the metric would be as, as similar people on Facebook would. Yeah. And so I, I want to talk about the environment in which they, um, put it out in 2012 because um, I remember that very well. In fact, I was working at Foursquare then, and I worked with a bunch of former um, Googlers there. Who um, the last thing that they did at Google, a lot of them was work on Google Plus. And so, if you look at the if you look at social uh, social networking in 2009, 2010, uh, 2011, 2012, it hit that hockey stick kind of growth point. And Google sort of realized that they were a little late to the game, but they still wanted to come out with their own, which was Google+. Um, and if you, if you ask people 2010, if you ask me 2010, 2011, what's the one thing that's missing from, from Facebook? A lot of people would have said, I would have said, you know, ah, I, um, I have all these different types of friends together in the same social network. I have my parents now. I have my college friends, I have my high school friends. It would be nice if I could kind of separate them into groups. And so that was one of the things that um, Google Plus attempted to solve with circles. And 
you know, yeah, and, they, and they Facebook- came up with a beautiful product in, in, in Google fashion. This is like total Google fashion. They came up with like a beautiful product to and data model to solve that problem. But it turned out that, you know, uh, no one really went to categorize their friends. Now, on Facebook, on Facebook, the fact that you don't categorize your friends, it's it's still a problem. Well, I, I mean, I thought you had the ability like, oh. to set. Uh, may, maybe it's not as as tunable, but but that you could kind of set different distribution levels for different, and 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 set who's who's on on what level. Sure, but, sure, but, but you right. Can't so say you, which you, you couldn't you couldn't necessarily uh, aside from you know creating a a Google uh, excuse me creating a Facebook group for a particular uh, focus. Yeah, like a private. Yeah, group. you you can do what you could do in in Google circles where you can have okay, this is my. Uh, you know, my fraternity and all the people involved in that are in this circle. And then this is uh, a circle for this uh, engineering class I'm taking and, and all the people I yeah. talk with in that class are in that. And so, you know, I can share uh, stuff related to an assignment here and uh, people who are connected to me and following me, but are not in that particular area don't need to see it. Uh, and and yes, that's very tunable in, in Google Plus. Uh, but the the mechanism for doing it, it, it always felt like it was so much work to keep your circles properly curated, especially if um, you were obsessive I, about that type of thing. for the most part, stopped even adding friends on Facebook too yeah. much. Just, well, yeah, that, that, uh, that's yeah. a whole different discussion. But, uh, you know, if, if, if you have kind of a, a complex, you know, Venn diagram looking circle situation where you may have... Uh, one person who's in six different circles because of their their overlaps there. That's kind of a pain in the butt to to maintain, and and yeah. that's I I went down a real deep hole with uh, with Gmail at one point where uh, I I had to well I I did this in in my uh, RSS reader too as as well. I had to tag every email and every article that I read with all of the relevant tags when when Gmail added tags this it was it was a great feature yeah. but it was a it, it it sucked up all a lot of my effort and time because I'd be putting you know half a dozen tags on this because well it's got a little bit of this a little bit of that a little, it, yeah I find that when I'm tagging podcast episodes but there aren't that yeah many, and, so. and and some of the newer iterations and features have have limited the ability to multi to multi-tag things which is frustrating on the one hand, but also is saving me from myself a little bit on the other. Yeah. Any tagging system that someone builds, I think the lesson is that you have to assume that most people are just not taggers and they still have to benefit from the tagging system. Um, You'll get a small number of users who tag a lot and then a large number of users who tag a little or none at all. And so the question is, how can you... um, how can you build a product like that? And the answer shouldn't be, well, everyone has to tag. Uh, so I, I want well, to get is, into- This is where uh, AI, yeah. w- which I, I don't think it was available at that level, could have been really useful that if you yes. if you just go ahead and you know if you want to manually tag, go for it. But if you, if you don't, uh, it'll watch how you share over a, a, you know, a given period of time and it'll start making suggestions for, I think these people might be in a group related to this topic. Would you like to create a circle with them? And then you can you know, slightly adjust it beyond that, but it'll do the heavy lifting for you. And I, I'm sure that's a much more complicated problem to solve than what I just said there. But uh, that, that's something that might have moved it from, but it's from a good idea. being a, a burden on the user to, to actually being something that would have impressed the user much more than it did. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think I mentioned this in episode, um, what was it, 32 about my sabbatical or one of the things I wanted to look into was a subjective tagging system that does something very similar to that and that I haven't built it, (laughs) but I did actually kind of sketch out how it would work. So maybe we'll talk about that sometime in the future. All right. I want to talk about now some of the other... um, Facebook or, or sorry, Google products that have come out and shut down recently or in the last decade or so. And I, uh, I'm adding some some focus questions here um, on what we can learn from this. So first question is, um, is this a normal consequence of taking risks for Google or is there some deeper pattern here? Because, hey, if Google wants to be a company where they take risks on products. That's great. They take risks, and then some of them are not going to work out, and then they're going to cut them, and that should be fine. So is that what's going on here, or is that is there some kind of deeper 
pattern or problem that they keep getting into all the time. Secondly, you know, is Google Plus really a net negative with some of the products that have come out of it? And we'll talk about those products that have come out of it in a little bit. And three, what can we learn about product building and product investing? So I have four examples here. Uh, the first example I have is Google Reader. That was from 2005 to 2013. I, I used Google Reader a lot, and, and I was yeah. one of the per, perhaps minority, I don't know, but one of those people who was really angry when they killed that off. Uh, and I spent quite a while figuring out, okay, where, A, what am I going to use to replace this? And there were-, so there were First uh, of all, tell us what is Google Reader? Okay. Google Reader was an RSS uh, you know, feed aggregator. So um, back back in 2005 to 2013, the golden age of blogs. Um, right. There were there were there were two ways you you could follow the blogs. You either had a list of favorites uh, in your bookmarks that you checked on a regular basis, or you could set up uh, an RSS reader where you would you would tell it you know these blogs, uh, these websites, and anytime there's an update, it gets pushed to your feed and you can see it in there. And uh, the thing that I loved about Google Reader uh, was that. Uh, it tied into the Google ecosystem, and this was this was before uh, part part of the reason that they killed it off actually was because they wanted to push uh, an element of it over to Google Plus. Uh, but you could wait. So now that Google Plus is dead or, or well, is going to die, is I, there anything? I, I, I will get to that in in talking about Plus in a minute. But okay. uh, so so there was a feature, and I don't know whether it was tied in on the basis of who you had in your in your Gmail contacts list, or if you explicitly had to. I think you may have had to explicitly uh, request to follow other people, but but I had a, a, a circle of you know, maybe it wasn't a huge number of people. It was probably less than than a hundred, maybe less than fifty. But but people That's who a lot of blogs. who well, no, no, this, this isn't the blogs. This is this is other readers, users, people oh, who okay. I knew personally. And when I saw an interesting article, not only would I share it with them, but also there was an ability to put a comment on it. So I could see, you know, if I, if I saw an article, I said, I read this and it made me think of, you know, this thing in professor so-and-so's class. And, and then I should send it off to my, my b- before Google plus my circle in Google reader. Uh, and, right. and part of their motivation, I think for shutting that down was that they wanted to move that kind of interaction over to plus, which, which they had started up right. before, uh, 2013. Um, and, and so they, killed off this this uh, kind of contained ecosystem where that discussion was going on with the hopes that that would put a, a, a bump of activity into plus um, but but I I very much liked it because also, it put yeah, they don't want to maintain two systems I mean it's yeah. very common well well we have, a, we have a tech team for this we have a tech team for that we have a bunch of software engineers we're we're spending too much time on this if we kill one of them and have them focus together we can have less people. Uh, serving more, and that's kind of a lot of the idea so, uh, behind it too. Now, now that you brought that up, I, I was going to save this for later, but uh, I, I just pulled open okay. my phone, and and in the uh, the little app group on my home screen for for uh, you know communication, I, I have uh, a number of Google apps uh, that all do similar or related things. So I've got Hangouts, I've got Messages, which is the uh, the Google SMS app. Uh, I've got Hangouts Dialer, I've got Duo, I've got Allo. And uh, I've got messaging, which I think is also a, a Google product. <laughs> messaging two, messaging yeah. three. So there's lots of messaging. And, and apps that's out that's there. not all of the Google apps for either texting or calling or chatting. There's there's not a real compelling reason that all of those should be there because they all do such similar things. Uh, and I'm I'm. Very comfortable with the idea of, you know, okay, we're going to develop this new idea kind of off in a silo. And if it works, then we fold it into Hangouts or, or Plus or whatever kind of our flagship product for that is. But to have such a fractured, segmented um, way of dealing with that, that user space. Yeah. And, and, and maybe if they all work on the same back end, then that solves the problem from their perspective. But it's, it's not if partially, if, if I'm Google and, and someone comes to me and says, how do I, you know, I, I want to talk to or send this, this text message to a person who I'm, you know, to another person, which service, which, which of these tools should I use? I, I don't think there's a clear company philosophy on what you should be using. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, the, 
the product offerings are very fractured. Uh, as yeah, I, you should use this one if you want to talk to one person, but this one if you want to talk to two or more people at the same time, and this one if you want to do it with you know cute emojis and stickers. And it, it, why is why is that all separate? One time at Foursquare, we had to shuffle people around, um, and it's like, well, we can't maintain this feature anymore. Um, and I asked, well, how would you do it at Google? Oh, at Google, you would work on your feature. And then if we wanted to build something else, we would just hire more people. <laughs> it's like, so it's just a proliferation of feature and idea and feature and idea, which, I mean, it could be good for inner innovation. On the other hand, it could be very confusing from a company perspective. I mean, if they want to do innovation, they might be better off doing essentially what they did in some cases, which is just make investments. Um, I want to go over some other examples. Another one is Google Buzz, which I actually used. I remember that pretty well. It was sort of Google's answer to Twitter, right? Say, I, I remember using it, but I remembered nothing about it other than that. In fact, yeah. uh, I'm and I'm probably conflating Buzz and and Wave in my head, which we'll I know you have as, as a future topic yeah. there. So yeah. Buzz, I think, was Google's answer to Twitter. It wasn't like the 140 characters or however much it is, but it was it was kind of a microblogging service, and that was surpassed by Google Plus because once Google Plus came around, they're like, well, why do we need Google Buzz anymore? No one's using Google Buzz. No one's using Google Plus. Uh, they have something in common. All right. <laughs> no, uh, so they, I think that went the same way as the Google Reader for similar reasons, it sounds like. Um, another one that I really have to mention, of course, is Dodgeball. And Dodgeball was uh, Dennis Crowley's company before Foursquare. So that's episode seven, localmaxradio.com slash seven, if you want my interview with Dennis. Um, but Dodgeball was the four square where you check into places, but you do it through SMS, through kind of flip phones. And But it was location-based, and Google bought it. And then in 2007, and I remember reading this at the time, you know, uh, because I was working on Sticky Maps, so I was kind of following the news a little bit, is that... Um, I I did I didn't know who who Dennis was or the people involved. I just remember reading the article, um, but they were like, "Oh, we're just shutting it down." So they bought it and then they just shut it down for reasons of I don't know. Maybe they felt like they had product bloat. Maybe they felt like, well, it's not going to get a whole lot of users because these flip phones aren't very good, and you know who knows if the mobile is going to happen. It's only two thousand seven after all. So um, I know right on the cusp of it. But um, yeah, that's uh, that, that's a big one in my mind. And then, of course, the fourth one, as you mentioned before, was Google Wave, uh, which was a very interesting product. It was uh, created by a guy named Lars Rasmussen, uh, among others. But I want to get to him later because he started a lot of really innovative uh, products. And so, what was interesting about Google Wave is that it was kind of, it was kind of billed as the successor to email. And this was also around 2010, and sort of went through a slow death. And it was kind of transferred from uh, Google to Apache. And by the way, Google Wave, I think, I think uh, Lars Rasmussen and and his his co-founders, I don't know who it is, uh, started it like they like like Dodgeball. They were kind of bought by Google, so it wasn't it wasn't created at Google. But the idea was it was kind of the successor to email, and there were a lot of like collaborative writing tools. So like if I start typing to you, you could see what I'm typing as I'm typing it, which it turns out that people don't always want that. Um, but um, it was sort of a collaborative document and messaging tool. Um, which was very interesting. And it kind of had a lot of features that were very futuristic seeming. And so I wanted to mention these four because a lot of great products can come out of these failures. So for example, in Google Wave, I think that that kind of real-time typing thing sort of made its way into Google Docs um, and made Google Docs that much better. And then of course, later on, you had other products that kind of surpass, I think Slack comes to mind. Um, obviously, Dodgeball, you had uh, Foursquare. Um, and then with uh, Google+, Plus, now I should mention, there are two pretty 
great products that have come out of that. One is Google Hangouts, just their video chat app, which people use all the time. And you and I, we've played games on that, uh, which are okay. Is, is that an outsource of, of Plus? Yeah. Uh, my lineage on that is fuzzy. I, I believe it was. And then another one that was uh, an outgrowth of Google Plus is Google Photos. So, and Google Photos is very popular. People like to have Google hold their photos and be able to search them and be able to kind of automatically categorize them. Um, so, and and that has a lot of machine learning AI technology uh, surrounding it. So I should mention that as well. So the stuff that came out of Google Plus is not exactly dead. Um, and I think some Google Wave features got into Gmail, maybe in some of the some of the tagging stuff. I'm not sure exactly. Um, and so I also want to mention uh, on the positive side, some products that came out of Google that are still going strong. So this is on the, on the upside, whether Google successes, one that I would consider is Google Maps. And right, so this was the one that Lars Rasmussen, who I believe is in New York, maybe I should try to get him on the show. Um, he created that with his group and then it was bought by Google along with Keyhole, which then became, I don't know if Keyhole was his, it could have been someone else's, but then that became Google Earth. Um, and then he also created Google Wave, and then he created Facebook Graph Search in 2013, I believe, which was shut down by Facebook uh, afterwards, uh, which again was, I think, the last innovative thing that Facebook tried to do from the consumer side. Do you remember Facebook Graph Search? It was just a very innovative natural language processing way to kind of search for people on Facebook. But I think they shut it down because they were like, oh, it's too creepy. People can find other people too easily, which, by the way, is kind of what Facebook is for. I, I vaguely remember. And then uh, they just <laughs> lose all our data. So I don't <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. Um, so uh, this one person has done a lot of interesting things. And then, of course, Google Doc, Google Docs, that was bought um, and I feel like it was a very innovative product. I still use it. Tons of people use it internally. I don't feel that they have done enough with it recently. The the spirit of Wave is clo most closely encompassed in in Google Docs. Yeah. To to some extent, uh, and and granted, Google well, so Google Docs is now Google Documents, or sorry, Google Google Drive, um, because that because that includes Docs and spreadsheets right. and or Google Sheets and Google presentations and, yes, and whatever yes. else. Yeah, all of it. Um, and so they've, they've merged all that, although- And forms. Apparently... I should mention forms. So I, Mariam Ali, who I had on the program way back in episode two, my first guest on uh, internationalization, she worked on the Google Docs team for, I think, over a year and worked on the forms team. So I could bring her on and talk about that sometime. To 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 get back on my, my horse about- uh, Google having too many apps. Uh, there yeah. is a separate Drive app, Sheets app, and Doc app, or Docs right. app. Even though Sheets and Docs are in Drive, um, but but I, I will say they 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 are continuing to maybe not roll out amazing new features and expansions there, but they are continuing to maintain and update those. Um, right, right. I, I, I wish I will Google pimp Docs would have, I, I don't know, I feel like there was a time like 10 years ago when like every few months there was a change and you're like, wow, this changes my life. And now it's just kind of like upkeep. I, I will pimp one new feature that, that, and I don't know whether they're the ones pushing on this. Like uh, their equation the editor is, is so, hold on, before you go on, their equation editor is so hard to use. Ooh, yeah, and, I haven't tried that. And it hasn't been fixed in like, it hasn't changed in 10 oh, that's, years. I that don't is, get it. That that has always been one of my pet peeves. Uh, so so having having taken my laptop to class as as a shiny new undergrad uh, to to engineering and and calculus classes. Uh, yeah, was, but a lot of people need this. It was pretty useless for note taking because yeah. there was yes, Word had a a equation uh, editor tool, but there's no way I could use that quickly enough to capture what was actually being written up on the board. Uh, and and there's you know if 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 I'd already mastered uh, is it LaTeX LaTeX uh, yeah. wh whatever that that uh, pseudo programming language is that that's probably the best and most efficient way to write up formulas. But as a freshman, I wasn't anywhere near being fluent in that, uh, and and so it, it yeah. really makes it uh, in a in a math uh, and and equation heavy setting very impractical to use a, a laptop for note taking. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, you also had another point. Go back to what? Uh, yes. Where were we? Um, we were talking about Google Docs. Yes. Uh, there, so there's 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 one new thing that 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 has recently been been bumped in there that I'm a big fan of, um, and that's uh, Grammarly. Um, so so this is kind of an external tool um, that provides kind of inline spell and grammar checking. Um, and it's the idea yeah. is that you can you can I've use it, it anywhere across the web in your applications. It's it's not you know the the you know Microsoft Word has a spell checker and Outlook has a spell checker. No, it's this is this is across platforms and and it's supposed to be better. Um, there's some AI pieces in that too, which I don't know too much of the detail on. But um, they they recently just rolled a beta out for incorporating that into Chrome. That was one of their big blind spots until uh, I think. They started in September, and and this October they've rolled it out to most uh, users. So so they are still rolling out new and, and interesting features, but but yeah, nothing earth shattering. So that's yeah. that's my free plug okay, for so, Grammarly. Uh, if if they want to support the podcast, right. they they know where to send you an email. They should they should, <laughs> and hopefully pretty soon we'll have a more standardized way of doing that. Um, it, so okay, to bring this all together, let's talk about what the deeper pattern is here. I think that a lot of these things have kind of beautiful and intuitive ideas around them. Google Reader, Google Buzz, um, Wave, but they didn't get a lot of users. And I wonder if maybe it's a um, investing in the, the human side of the products that they've neglected, or it's the fact that they sometimes buy these products externally and say, okay, it's just going to... Uh, there's a tendency to say, okay, now that this product is built, it's good. We should go on to build a new product, but then we don't invest in the products that we've already built enough. So that is also another kind of pattern to watch out for. Well, I, I, I have a theory and, and I don't know if I fully subscribe to it, but it was something I heard recently that, that I, I agreed with at least some points of, and, and it was brought in the context of another product that Google recently announced they're going to be discontinuing, and that's Inbox by Gmail. Um, Ooh, interesting. Which which uh, has been around uh, on an invitation-only basis, I guess, since 2014, and it was made public in 2015. Uh, and they announced that it's closing in uh, March of 2019. So that, that announcement came out in September of this year. Um, right. The, someone made the argument that that they're they're discontinuing it, like many of these other services, because it did not see widespread adoption, and it was not uh, a huge... You know, didn't have huge user numbers. Um, however, uh, the people who did use it tended to be uh, perhaps more on the power user side, and they were much more uh, fanatical. Is probably the wrong word, but they were pretty passionate about the use of these particular tools. Much, much like my feelings about Reader at the time. Uh, and I the, mean, that's the, usually the sign of a good yeah, product. If you the, have a, a small, very, I'd rather have uh, you know a mil, uh, uh, ten thousand people be like, I will, you know, go to the ends of the earth with this product, then have a million people that just say, yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah. And, and I think Google is, is trying to put all their eggs in fewer baskets and that's yeah. doing a disservice to these more passionate users. Um, and, and there's, there's, on the other hand, if they, yeah, uh, on the other hand, it, it, we, like we said before, it is a problem that they have lots of baskets that have overlapping. Yeah. Problems too. So, well, when, one of the things that they had started to do. So, I, I think initially they, the intention was that inbox was going to be kind of a, a, a different way of using email, and and that it wasn't looking to replace Gmail, uh, but to be you know kind of a different interface. Um, and it morphed more into um, inbox became the test bed for features that they thought, well, this might be a good idea. Let's run it in inbox for a couple of months, see how it works, fine tune it. And then when we've done all that, we'll roll it into, into Gmail proper. Uh, and so it was, it was really the, where, where they did a lot of their beta testing for the new features that have rolled in the last year or so into, into Gmail. Uh, and, and I think a lot of those users would have been perfectly happy to continue giving, giving Google kind of that free user testing uh, on that front. Uh, but Google has chosen not to take advantage of that for for whatever uh, you know kind of corporate yeah. strategy reasons. A lot of these companies, Foursquare is included, are afraid if they have an ad supported product to also have like a premium, mm. like oh I'll pay a few bucks a month for for this, 
And um, I feel like for some of these uh, features with like power users, that might be a good idea to keep these things going. But um, uh, it, it seems like if a company says, no, we're free and ads run, then that's it. There's no, no premium. But a lot of companies have free and premium. So it, it doesn't, it, it, it's, I think, something that. Yeah, well, I, I guess the the, the closest thing I I would say is is I guess Google has, and I, I don't know the proper term for it, but but when they provide essentially uh, using the the you know Gmail and and Google Drive interface, but on your corporate domain, um, right? Uh, and and there's there's a term for that, but but I I presume that that comes uh, at a a corporate price point that that is not ad supported. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but there's no kind of consumer. I mean, I, I suppose if I wanted to go to, uh, you know, start uh, my you know establish my own domain and and post it there, I could subscribe to their their corporate product. Uh, but there's there's no kind of consumer level option for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, we will sell to enterprise, sure, but we're not gonna sell a few bucks for users, except if it's like a cloud storage, everyone's trying to get a few bucks no, for cloud yeah. storage from you, which is, which I, I feel like they keep reducing now. the amount of free crowds, cloud storage that they've given me to, to push me yeah. over to the paid plan. Yeah. Um, Damn it. You gave that to yeah. free for free to me years ago and it's mine now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, with that, uh, any last, wor- uh, any last things to say on the Google um, on the Google graveyard. I think we've, I think we've covered this pretty well. I think that's a good, we have a good starting point. A lot of discussions that can happen online, uh, localmaxradio.com. Um, anything else? Aaron? Um, so I, I wish, uh, much in the way that I got fed up with Facebook and left that I could do the same with Google, but, but that's not anywhere in the future. Um, I did, however, Google search or Google. Oh, I, just, just, Google across the board. I'm I'm not about to give up my Gmail oh, and yeah, that would be really it's, hard. It's too painful and and so I I concede the win there. Gmail scares me my whole life. Yeah, but there. but what I did do, um, well, and, and you mentioned search. Uh, I do on occasion use DuckDuckGo, which I I consider to be kind of the the anti Google uh, search engine. Um, uh, but but when when Reader died, um, I didn't I I I did move all of those uh, kind of that social circle over to plus, but never really used it. Um, but I did move my RSS reader uh, capabilities over after a couple of hops eventually to Feedly. Um, so it's it's not the same because it's not like Google really had a alternative solution that they were pushing me to that did the same thing in-house. Um, but but I, I moved that out outhouse in that way. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up with that. Um, next week, I've got an interesting interview going on. I have um, someone, I'm not going to say who it is, but someone with a Bitcoin and blockchain podcast who creates a lot of viral content. So <laughs> it'll be a fun, uh, it'll be a fun interview. And that's it. This episode, the show notes will be at localmaxradio.com slash 36. Thanks for joining today, Aaron. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say, you're going to